Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.33 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 2nd of November, 2022. This is episode 638 of Bitcoin, and I am waiting for the fallback. I really am. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's my hatred, my absolute hatred of daylight, daylight savings time. It's just such a mental shit show. It's just, why? It's... We don't need it. And what's even worse is what I found out. And I always knew that most countries in the world followed the whole daylight savings time because, you know, America rules the planet and shit like that. So everybody's got to be on our time so that they can figure out what the hell time to do business in. What I didn't know is that different countries, uh, they have different dates for when they start daylight savings time or they do the whole fallback thing. And it's already, it's come to my attention that people, I think it was in the Netherlands have told me that they they're already there. We got like, I think it's this weekend or something like that. But in either event, what I found out even further is that even within countries, different regions in that country do the date differently when they fall back or spring forward. how is this nothing but just total confusion? <laughs> what what purpose does it serve at this point? Oh my God. Well, anyway, we've got better fish to fry. Um, let's see. Is there anything that I want to announce first? You know what? I'm going to try this one. Hey, if you want to support what I do, if you want to support the show, then podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Use Fountain App. That's the one that I've been using. Uh, If you don't want to use that one, you can go find a new one at newpodcastapp.com. That's newpodcastapps.com. I believe it's apps, A-P-P-S dot com. Uh, The the whole big old list, it's a big old list of all kinds of new podcasting apps that are podcast 2.0 enabled that allows you to stream me satoshis while i stream you these dulcet tones or you can give me a boostagram that's right you can actually send me a message with a whole bunch of satoshis attached to it and i'll read it which i'm going to try to do at the first part of the second part of the show so but uh before we do that we got to talk about the white house we really do The White House got fact-checked by Twitter today. (laughs) Here's the tweet from the White House. This is the official account at White House on Twitter says, seniors are getting the biggest increase in their social security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. Now, here's the fact-check. Readers added context they thought people might want to know. Seniors will receive a large Social Security benefit increase due to the annual cost of living adjustment, which is based on the inflation rate. President Nixon in 1972 signed into law automatic benefit adjustments tied to the Consumer Price Index. Uh, public legislation number 92-336 back in 1972. So it wasn't President Biden that did this shit at all. It was President Nixon, who, if, of Watergate fame, of all things in the world, a, a hated Republican of all things in the world. And Elon Musk just fact-checked the living shit out of the White House to the point, well, actually it's not, Elon's complete fault. There was a, even a guy from CNN called out the bullshit and CNN is Biden's mouthpiece. And even they were like going, dude, this is so wrong. 
that we can't just let it go. And a guy from CNN tweeted out and said, no, this has nothing to do with Biden's policies. This has everything to do with President Nixon signing into law a rate adjustment for Social Security that's tied to inflation back in 1972. And you know what happened? And it's gone. <laughs> the White House deleted the tweet. Could you, can you imagine the White House having to delete a tweet of all the stupid stuff that they've tweeted? What d- doesn't matter the administration, however long that the White House has had a Twitter account of all the dumb things that have been tweeted over the years. I don't re- ever remember the White House pulling one down, but they definitely pulled this one down. So that's the way we're starting hump day is with the White House having to delete absolute incredible or rather, yeah, incredulous bullshit. <laughs> and uh, oh, by the way, that guy, uh, that I was telling you about that is a fact checker for CNN. Uh, I think it's Joseph A. Wolfson. And he said, whoa, the White House deleted its tweet after Twitter placed a fact check disclaimer on it. <laughs> it's just, oh my God, it's just so, oh, 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 wait, I just saw something. Hold on here. What the hell is this? Oh yeah, there's just a tweet from Mike Solana says, holy shit, that fact check. And he's got a screenshot of the White House tweet that I just read. Elon Musk comes back and says, the community notes feature is awesome. Our goal is to make Twitter the most accurate source of information on earth without regard to political affiliation. Community notes feature. I am unsure what the hell that is, but hey, I guess it's coming. Apparently, blue checks are going to have to pay, you know, eight bucks a month or something like that for their Twitter account. Nobody really knows what the hell's going on. Okay, so we're just going to have to let all the bullshit shake out of the tree and see if we can catch a squirrel out of it or not. Anyway, here's the news. Survey, 37% of voters considering uh, candidates' crypto positions. Yes, we're actually going to be looking to see what their crypto positions are, apparently. That's if you, you know, vote. Ben Strack, Blockwork says, more than one-third of U.S. voters are taking the crypto views of candidates into account in the lead-up to midterm election day next week, according to a new survey. The survey polled 2,000 likely voters in early October and found that 37% have been parsing the role of crypto in terms of casting their votes. It was conducted by the Harris Poll on behalf of digital asset manager, you guessed it, Grayscale Investments. A quarter of Americans said inflation and the broader economic culture has made them more interested in crypto. Roughly half of respondents not already invested said that they are waiting until the economy improves. Yeah, you'd be waiting a while, pal. But regulation is also key. Roughly 80% agreed that there should be clearer crypto regulations, including 88% of Democrats and 77% of Republicans. Nearly 40% considered the United States behind other countries in terms of regulating digital assets in a manner that makes it easy and safe to trade. Trading this shit is never safe, dude, no matter what your regulation. Grayscale CEO Michael Sonnenschein told Blockworks in a statement that the firm would be monitoring developments of the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act and the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, plus any potential stablecoin regulation. The proposed Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, authored by Senators Debbie Stablenow or Stabnow and John Boozman, would classify Bitcoin and shitcoin number one as commodities. That would leave the two largest cryptocurrencies under the purview of the CFTC. Another, the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, would go a step further. It would give the CFTC jurisdiction over most crypto tokens while pushing for increased oversight of stablecoins. Bipartisan stablecoin regulation is unlikely to pass this year, sources told Blockworks. Industry participants said the Biden administration's crypto framework unveiled in September was lacking in details as the president called for yet more research on a potential digital dollar. Yeah. Last thing that Goldman Sachs wants is for a central bank digital currency to come into being. Why? Destroys their business model. Who needs Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Wells Fargo? Who needs any of these jokers if the central bank can just be everybody's bank? 
But they can do all the home loans too because they've got Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and all those assholes, right? They don't, small business loans, got small business administration. You don't need Wells Fargo. You don't need Goldman Sachs. You don't need Bank of America. You don't need any of them. And none of them like that. And all of them sit on the board of the Federal Reserve. Let that sink in. I'm just saying, guys, I, the possibility of the United States getting a CBDC that is an actual CBDC anytime soon is pretty far-fetched unless you nationalize all the banks and put them underneath the Federal Reserve. And at that point, I'm looking for a way out of the country. Not because I like Wells Fargo, not because I love Bank of America. I think they can all go get themselves screwed for all I give a shit. But what I want, what I don't want even more is a CBDC. Because then they can tell me what I can buy, when I can buy it, how I can buy it, under what conditions I can buy it under. You know, it's just, this is nothing but slavery. So I wouldn't worry about that part. But the whole fact that people in the regular classes, the regular Joes are starting in a very large way to look at the positions of politicians, uh, the positions that politicians take on cryptocurrency is kind of shocking, honestly. 37%, that's, that's well over a third of the voters in the United States are saying that they're actually looking at what the positions a po- position on crypto a politician has, and that's going to influence their vote. Hmm. What do you think it'll be by 2024? <laughs> I don't know, man. But let's talk about Greenpeace. Greenpeace USA's misinformed environmental attacks only energize and galvanize Bitcoiners. Daniel Batten for Bitcoin Magazine Growing up in the 70s, our local council tried to put a rubbish tip into our coastal New Zealand community. The whole community came together not just to fight a common enemy and win, but to discover the power of what's possible as part of a grassroots movement, which is impossible alone. In years to come, most of that community, including myself, would go on to become voices for humanitarian and, oh God, here it comes, climate justice. Fast forward to October 2022, I would never have imagined I would be part of a community of environmentalists defending the environment against Greenpeace USA. A period of intensive data analysis six months earlier led me to the inescapable conclusion that Bitcoin was a net positive to the environment. But powerful forces were at work to hoodwink the world's environmentally minded through a seemingly orchestrated misinformation campaign. The misinformation was strong enough that I initially fell for it myself. In a world where retorting the hobby website of a paid employee of a central bank is treated as canonical truth by mainstream media right up to the White House and conflicts of interest evades mainstream media's scrutiny, there have been precious few public relation victories for the Biden or God, the Bitcoin community when it comes to the environmental narrative. Quote, Bitcoin uses too much energy, has become the new immigrants are taking our jobs. The incantation of vested interest and the hoodwinked who wittingly or unwittingly stoked the fires of populism with sound bites over sound analysis. What we are seeing is not new. We saw the tobacco industry influence medical opinion for many years about the safety of smoking. We saw the print media criticize the environmental credentials of the internet, predicting it would cause coal factories to fire up worldwide. Today, it's unsurprising that central banks that want their central bank digital currencies to be the future of digital currency, not Bitcoin, which disintermediates central banks, should happily fan the fires of doubt about Bitcoin using environmental credentials as its attack vector. In this historical context, it's no surprise that Ripple's executive chair, Chris Larson, among others, paid $5 million to launch a Greenpeace USA campaign attacking Bitcoin's energy use. And Ripple is not just another altcoin. 
it is launching its own CBDC pilot project. CBDCs and Bitcoin represent fundamentally competing visions for our digital currency future. Nor should we be surprised that seemingly no mainstream journalist has publicly questioned either Larson or Greenpeace about an evident conflict of interest. But despite the money, the compassionate pass from mainstream media and a well-trained in-house media team that did its best to neuro-associate Bitcoin with stock video footage of climate catastrophe, Greenpeace's USA campaign did not go well. The Change the Code campaign actually energized and galvanized strong environmentalist voices within the Bitcoin community, including Troy Cross, Margot Payas, Adam Wright, and others. It motivated podcasters such as Bitcoin Archive, Pomp, and Crypto Burb, who had not previously examined the environmental benefits of Bitcoin to start doing so. It was also the catalytic moment that took me from being a read-only Twitter user to becoming one more outspoken voice for the environmental merits of Bitcoin. Greenpeace USA had the opportunity for a strategic retreat. It didn't take it. Instead, in September, Timed seemingly for after the Ethereum merge, Larson and others spent an additional $1 million with Greenpeace USA to intensify the attacks on Bitcoin. This time, the backfire was even more pronounced. On Greenpeace USA's Twitter feed, a horde of Bitcoiners weighed in with data and fact, mercilessly counterattacking Greenpeace's campaign for what they perceived as its misinformation, ignorance, questionable ethics, lack of science, use of PSYOP-style messaging, and inability to see how thoroughly it had been played by central bankers. Remarkably few of Greenpeace's USA's own 218,000 followers, nor any other branches of Greenpeace internationally, came to its aid. And Greenpeace USA wasn't just repeatedly ratioed, it was honey-badgered. Lynn Alden's commentary on Troy Cross's reply to a Greenpeace USA tweet captures the extent of the backfire. So here's the Greenpeace USA tweet. What are you going to do for climate today? Troy Cross replies, number one, escape the fiat system of debt-fueled consumption and malinvestment forced by runaway money supply. Two, mine Bitcoin on venting methane and curtailed solar. Three, defend one and two against you. Lynn Alden's reply to Troy Cross says, a philosophy professor and environmentalist with less than a tenth of the following of Greenpeace just ratioed Greenpeace by 10 to 1 on Twitter.com. And in fact, if you look at the ratio numbers, yes, that is in fact what what occurred. (laughs) No other branch of Greenpeace seems to have retweeted any of the Change the Code campaign since September. Organizers set up a Change the Code Twitter handle, which spent many months limping to 1,300 Twitter followers, 80% of whom seemed to be Bitcoiners based on their profile descriptions, with the clockwork relentlessness of an oil pump jack. The account continued to grind out near-daily anti-Bitcoin soundbites, only to see nearly every single tweet ratioed by about 20 to 1 by the community. It has proven a valuable resource for Bitcoiners. Not only is it very useful to see all the misinformation cataloged in one place, but more importantly, each time a tweet is ratioed, it allows Bitcoiners to educate themselves and others in the community about how to counter Bitcoin misinformation. Sort of like an online guide, huh? Far from turning more people against Bitcoin, the campaign has only served to draw attention to Greenpeace USA's departure from grassroots funding while providing a forum for Bitcoiners to demonstrate the weakness of the anti-Bitcoin case once mainstream media was no longer there to insulate the attacker from a horde of highly informed Bitcoiners. Willy Woo calculated the campaign lost for Greenpeace at a minimum of $7.1 million in subscriptions worldwide. The brand and reputational damage will likely have been much more and take much longer to recover from. While outwardly, Greenpeace USA will shrug shoulders and say, well, you always lose some supporters on direct action campaigns and Bitcoiners are vocal on Twitter. Behind closed doors, its executive management will be asking what went wrong in what has been an unprecedented social media catastrophe. 
The first foreboding signs of why the Change the Code campaign performed so badly came one year earlier. In the only level playing field debate on if Bitcoin is a threat to the environment, a predominantly anti-Bitcoin general audience swung 17.9% to become predominantly pro-Bitcoin after just one hour of hearing for the first time, not just a central banker's narrative, but a Bitcoiner's right of reply, according to a calculation of voters from the user forum on that video itself. The second alarm bell for Greenpeace USA was much closer to home. Greenpeace's base is 18 to 34 year olds. This age group is twice as likely to think climate change poses a, a serious threat. What Greenpeace USA seemed not to realize until it was too late was that 18 and 34 year olds are almost twice as likely to hold Bitcoin as the rest of the general population. Whoops. The third the third alarm bell should have been that these 18 to 34 year olds are the least likely to trust mainstream media. Meaning, Greenpeace USA's base was the least likely to believe the highly skewed narrative about Bitcoin propagated through mainstream news channels. Greenpeace USA completely miscalculated what would happen in forums where the, quote, Bitcoin can be good for the environment, end quote, case could not be censored the way it had been throughout mainstream media outlets. To illustrate the extent of the amplify slash censor imbalance in mainstream media, a single case where Bitcoin mining used an off-grid natural gas plant has been amplified by continual regurgitation, but the 31 cases where Bitcoin mining operations use zero emissions or carbon negative energy sources have gone unreported. Greenpeace's direct action campaigns typically target large corporations with something to hide. Greenpeace USA's also miscalculated what would happen when it took on a grassroots movement founded on the values of consensus and transparency, which had nothing to hide and an untold story to tell. It miscalculated how Bitcoiners would unite together to defend an attack from an environmental Goliath that they perceive to have compromised its integrity by taking private money from a conflicted billionaire to fund their campaign. But it also perhaps miscalculated how unsympathetic its 18 to 34 year old base would be to its anti-Bitcoin narrative. For when the ratios came thick and fast on Twitter, its base did not defend it. That vacuum allowed Bitcoin Twitter to do the job that mainstream media once did, hold an organization to account for taking funding from an apparently conflicted source. What positives can Greenpeace USA take away from this campaign? Well, if its intention was to galvanize the Bitcoin environmental movement and create new leaders within it, provide a forum where Bitcoiners can educate and inform its base about the environmental benefits of Bitcoin and highlight a tactical error from its executive management team to its supporters, then its campaign has been a kick-ass success. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Even before the extra $1 million from Ripple was paid to amplify Greenpeace, Greenpeace USA's message directly after the Ethereum merge, Cross warned the Bitcoin community in July that more pressure would come on Bitcoin post-merge. It seemed the, the antagonists of Bitcoin were expecting this to be the turning of the tide, where they triumphantly cried, Ethereum has proven that it can do the right thing for the environment, and now it's Bitcoin's turn to a choir of cheerleaders. They did not expect the reply. Bitcoin is now the only major cryptocurrency that can become an emission negative network. Nor did they expect the, the supporting data showing that 7 megawatts of vented methane-based mining per month is all it takes to make the whole Bitcoin ne network emission negative by December 2024, a monthly rate already surpassed using flared methane power. Whoops. As for Bitcoiners, we can celebrate the moment. It's not the final battle, not even close. The opponents of Bitcoin will regather and stronger. We can expect new missiles of misinformation, new angles of attack vectors through the cur curatable channels of mainstream media and political influence that have worked for them to date. But they have also learned that in an open forum where the right of reply cannot be censored, the truth will shine.
Social media is one stadium where they cannot win. Yeah, well, at least not yet. We'll have to see. If Greenpeace USA introspects deeply, it will realize that we are on the same team. Bitcoin is a reflection of its own core values, not just a financial sovereignty movement, but a human rights movement and an environmental movement. It is a movement built on Satoshi Nakamoto's vision of peer-to-peer solidarity, returning power to the people algorithmically through the proof-of-work consensus mechanism while disintermediating the unelected financial elites who, by virtue of wealth or position, can make decisions that are bad for the people and widen wealth inequality. They will come to understand that Bitcoin is hope for non-violent revolutionaries in the environmental movement who seek to end the petrodollar, usher in a world that is not based on the excessive consumption that inflationary fiat currencies incentivize, stabilize the intermittency of renewable energy, find a home for new solar and wind on the grid, and mitigate methane that would otherwise become atmosphere-borne and contributed to climate change. Bitcoin cannot fix the environment. Only people can do that. But Bitcoin was created to help the people, and that spirit of its founder lives on in everyone who's behind it. The environmentalists within the Bitcoin community are growing rapidly in number and in valor. Just like the coastal community of the 70s, each attack on what we hold dear serves only to energize and galvanize us, creating new leaders who will go on to become irrepressible voices for humanitarian and climate justice. Fucking A, dude. Not bad. That's not a bad way to look at it. But here's the deal. I want to read this again. If Greenpeace USA introspects deeply, it will realize that we are on the same team. Okay. No. I disagree with this. Because, and, and, and I don't disagree with it because, you know, that we're not on the same team. Yeah, environmentalists and Bitcoiners are actually on the same team. My gripe here is with the fact that Greenpeace USA is being called an environmentalist group. They are not. See, that's what really happened. You know, and, and Greenpeace USA is just one of many, I don't know, what would you call them? Houses of Greenpeace? Chat, let's call them chapters. You know, like, uh, you know, you've got like Alpha Alpha Pi Omega at colleges. Well, the Alpha Pi house, you know, at Texas Tech University isn't the only Alpha Pi house that there is. There's chapters, right? They have chapters, you know, Chapter House Dune, if you've ever read that book, goes way deeper into what that means than I want to get to in here. But Greenpeace USA is just a small segment of Greenpeace International. See, when Greenpeace USA took the money from Brad Garlinghouse and Chris Larson, they automatically became non-environmentalists. They became corporate stooges. And all of their environmental ideas flew out the window. And they, so Greenpeace USA is no longer a group that you can consider environmentalists. That's, why, that's the one gripe that I have with this particular article is that he's still equating Greenpeace USA as a group of environmentalists. They are not. Not anymore. They sold that for $5 million and then a bonus payment of $1 million after that. I don't feel bad. I, I mean, even the, even the guy that started Greenpeace back in the, what, 60s? Even he left. But he left way before this. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw where Greenpeace was going and he left. Either that or he got booted out. I I think he actually left, but I'm pretty sure that there was pressure on him to leave because he was pushing back against the direction Greenpeace was going. Then he would have been correct because if this is where Greenpeace is going, where they're taking corporate money from just any idiot to say any old thing, well, then you're an advertising agency and not really an environmental movement, but, you know, we've beat that dead horse, you know, quite enough. So let's move on. We need a lot faster move on Global South Bitcoin adoption, according to Paxful CEO, Cointelegraph, Joseph Hall. Tell us more. Cointelegraph hit the gym with Ray Youssef, co-founder and CEO of Paxful, to tackle the Bitcoin adoption in the Global South. In between sets and a little out of breath, Youssef told Cointelegraph, the Global South is where we should be looking 
for Bitcoin adoption. A New Yorker born in Egypt, Youssef regularly visits Africa and the Global South to promote Bitcoin and peer-to-peer finance. He is determined to bring Bitcoin to those living and working across Africa and to undermine the economic apartheid created by government-issued fiat currency. Youssef is a firm believer that government-backed fiat money is the scourge of human progress. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I can see that. He posited creating money is the greatest creative opportunity of any government, right? Right? Before launching into a diatribe against Western government as he pumped iron. Nonetheless, thanks to Bitcoin, people around the world, especially in the global South, now have the means to fight back against economic repression. Thank God. Quote, the good news is that we have a few tools at our disposal. We have the internet, we have mobile phones, and now we have Bitcoin peer-to-peer electronic cash, end quote. His business, Paxful, currently numbers 10 million users worldwide, but the CEO explained that the crypto community needs to move a lot faster in order to reach a billion users in the next five years, or five to 10 years. He referred to the explosive growth of telecommunication companies such as M-Pesa in Kenya as examples that adoption can flourish rapidly. Quote, the telcos have shown us the path, but we aren't listening. We're still trying to replace banks with wallets, and that is not the path to a billion citizens. We need something more, end quote. Ultimately, the key to unlocking growth in emerging markets is teaching citizens about Bitcoin and the properties of hard money. Youssef believes that a focus on education is great, but primarily we have to shift away from this mindset that we have right now of just replacing banks with wallets, end quote. It's true that Bitcoin wallets do act as a replacement for banks. In El Salvador, for example, a heavily heavily unbanked country, Bitcoin adoption onboarded 4 million users in a year. 70% of the unbanked population gained international payment and remittance services. However, Youssef went one step further envisioning a world where Bitcoin helps the unbanked trade and transact freely, creating an abundance of entrepreneurship. Finally, Youssef joked, that Ronnie Coleman, a bodybuilder and eight-time Mr. Olympia winner, would be a Bitcoiner. Cointelegraph reached out to Coleman for comment and will update when possible. And we'll find out. Okay, here's the thing that, that I like about what you, uh, Ray Youssef is saying. I really, and I really do agree with this statement. I, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all, but I think it is a major issue. And we should look at this again. The telecommunication companies have shown us the path, but we aren't listening. We're still trying to replace banks with wallets and that's not the path to a billion citizens. We need something more. I really like this take on what's going on. Yeah, we are trying to replace banks with wallets. So what, what, what Ray is talking about here is how is it that telecommunication companies have so much penetration into the global South. And how did they do it so damn fast? We should look at that model, strip that model down, rebuild that model again to truly understand what what has been occurring and what is still occurring and see if we can't possibly utilize some of that model in our own model, right? It's not just replacing banks with wallets. That's part of it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But Ray's making an excellent point. What's going on with the telecommunications companies? Why is their penetration so deep? How did it get there so fast? What did they do? You guys, you know, look around. Tell me what they did. What's your opinion? How is it? And what did M-Pesa do? to have such penetration? And can we utilize some of that without sacrificing the ethic of Bitcoin? I don't know, you guys tell me, we're gonna run the numbers.
to all the good boys and girls out there and all the ships that fucking say the Fed has approved a 0.75 point hike to take rates to the highest since 2008, brothers and sisters. The FOMAC has done it. The FOMAC has spoken. And the dildo that they have given you is a 0.75 point basis point hike. I... They're talking about going to 50, the next FOMAC meeting. We'll have to see, and that's quite a ways off. So how did Bitcoin react? Well, it gained 350 bucks pretty much right off the top of that news. What did the rest of the market do? Oh, I don't know. Let's find out from CNBC futures and commodities. Oil, West Texas Intermediate up a point and a half, $89.67. Bretton North Sea, 1.29% to the upside, $95.87. Natural gas, however, great big winner today, 8.5% to the upside to $6.20 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is up 3.5 points to $2.68 a gallon. Everything but gold, as far as shiny metal rocks are concerned, is down. Gold is up 0.19% to 1652 bucks. Silver's down 0.16%. Platinum is down scant. Copper is down 0.22. Excuse me. And palladium is down 1.5%. Agricultural futures are fully mixed. Wheat is the biggest loser, however. 6.5 points to the downside. Cotton is up 5 and a third point to the upside. And let's see. What how the indices react? Well, they're all down. Dow is down 0.12%. S&P is down over a half point. NASDAQ is down well over half a point. And S&P mini is down again. Oh no, actually it just flipped over. It's down two thirds of a point. So uh, again, Bitcoin uh, was doing pretty well. Hold on, wait a minute, wait. I got to submit a form resubmission? Oh, for God's sakes. Okay, it looks like BitInfo charts may be down. Hold on. What the hell's going on? All right. According to BitInfo charts, however, I don't think it's been updated, but we're talking we're looking at $20,493.87. However, however, Stacker News has it listed at $20,613. So maybe there's a delayed reaction because of 10-minute blocks. Who knows? We'll have to find out that that basis point hike just basically occurred just a few minutes ago. All right, 1.14 million Bitcoin sent in the last 24 hours and 4.5 Bitcoin is the average transaction value. Median transaction value is 0.023 or just under 500 bucks. Block times are very high, 10 minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, We have 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 14.3 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 7.72% drop in hash rate, we are at 271.83 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 13.2 United States pennies. <gasps> Haven't seen Dogecoin this high in quite a while. Should you go out and buy it? No, no, stop it. God, ugh, don't do that. 22,558. Transactions are waiting on 11 blocks to clear. We have a $395.8 billion market cap. That's 300, 3.6% of gold's market cap. And you can now get 12.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,196,235.92 of, and 5,132.2 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $106 million being run over 16,494 nodes, sporting 78,571 payment channels, and 66.7% of all that shit's being run over Tor's associated 11,674 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin doesn't need Kanye West, but yay needs Bitcoin. Bitcoin Magazine, Jacob Kossipat is writing this one. Let's see. One of the world's most prominent celebrities and cultural influences, yay, formerly Kanye West, recently publicly showed support for Bitcoin. 
Ye won a custom-knitted hat, or wore a custom-knitted hat, embroidered with the anonymous founder Satoshi Nakamoto's name on it days after J.P. Morgan Chase and company canceled the Music Icons account. Many in the Bitcoin community point to his financial cancellation as to why Bitcoin matters. While Ye's remarks have been interpreted as anti-Semitic, and many were offended, they were those remarks were not illegal, so it could be argued that it is unfair to unbank him. However, as J.P. Morgan is a commercial company and not a government entity, it is within their right to not serve the artist. Thus, many cryptocurrency enthusiasts believe that Ye may see the value of a decentralized financial system Bitcoin provides. Ye has a rocky history with cryptocurrency, as one of the first altcoins, Coinye West, was named after the controversial artist. Ye, then known as Kanye West, promptly sued and shut down the project. Ye also spoke out against NFTs during the peak of their hype back in 2021. And that said, while Ye has critiqued other cryptocurrency projects, he's been relatively supportive of Bitcoin in the past. So could Ye's financial cancellation be what pushes him to dive fully into Bitcoin? And perhaps more interestingly, if Ye's presence is, is it positive or negative for the digital currency? Many Bitcoiners are excited about the prospect of Ye showing support for Bitcoin. He's one of the most significant cultural figures of the 21st century with figures like Elon Musk, Virgil Abloh, who I have no idea who the fuck that is, and Chance the Rapper, all citing the Chicago native as an inspiration. His music garners tens of millions of plays every month, and his brand Yeezy is considered to be one of the world's foremost streetwear brands. In fact, in under a decade, Ye went from a relatively unknown name in the world of fashion to making up 10% of Adidas' total revenue. <laughs> Not anymore. Thus, many Bitcoin supporters hope that Ye could bring a lot of attention and potential new users to Bitcoin. Moreover, the controversial businessman arguably has an ideological reason to support a Bitcoin-based system. Many Bitcoiners, who often skew libertarian, would point to J.P. Morgan ending their relationship with the artist as a perfect explanation for why the cryptocurrency matters. Roger Ver, uh, known online as Bitcoin Jesus, argues that one of the main reasons cryptocurrency matters is that banks, uh, it banks the world's misanthropes. For people in countries like Iran, North Korea, and Russia, enemies of the United States, ergo enemies of the world's reserve currency, Bitcoin exists to bypass the financial sanctions imposed upon them. Many speculate Russian oligarchs used Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a mean to means to preserve their wealth during the period following Russian sanctions. Ye's career has been mired in controversy from his 20 or 2007 statement that George Bush doesn't care about black people to interrupting Taylor Swift during her VMA award. Despite this controversy, he's constantly been able to come back stronger, becoming one of the greatest selling artists of all time and willing a multi-billion dollar streetwear brand into existence. But as Travis Andrews writes for the Washington Post, it seems as though he may have pushed too far, and he did. Ye, who himself admitted that his remarks were intentionally provocative, recently lost multiple lucrative partnerships with Balenciaga, Vogue, and Adidas. Keepers of culture like Anna Wintour's Vogue magazine have permanently cut ties with the musician. <coughs> Other media companies have followed suit, saying that they will stop platforming Ye's controversial thoughts. Moreover, Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel wrote a piece in the Financial Times urging businesses, including music streaming platforms, to avoid partnering with the designer. This is all to say Ye's brand is severely damaged. No, it's not. And it arguably isn't good for his re reputation to be intertwined with Bitcoins. Yes, it is. Moreover, many think that Ye doesn't have a serious passion for the digital currency. Mahaman, sorry, founder of Heladoge.com and a Bitcoin whale who is himself Jewish, told Bitcoin Magazine that Ye's presence would be good for Bitcoin, but doubted that the rapper actually believed in the digital currency, saying he seems not to know or care about Bitcoin, which is disappointing. Ye admitted to not understanding Bitcoin, and while he may have a casual interest in the idea of Bitcoin as innovative, it doesn't seem that he wants to commit serious capital or time to the cause. Ye faces several personal and professional problems at the moment and is unlikely to take on any new causes. 
While he should use Bitcoin to transfer his money out of JP Morgan, Bitcoin regularly transfers hundreds of millions of dollars for a fraction of the cost of traditional payment methods. He most likely won't. Ye admits to not knowing that much about Bitcoin, despite knowing about cryptocurrencies for close to a decade. The social power of Ye supporting Bitcoin may also mean very little, as many brands, both in the media and business, are distancing themselves from a, the former billionaire. It can be assumed that his public perception is at an all-time low. That said, Ye still has millions of followers who readily pay attention to everything the artist says, and maybe that could translate positively for the cryptocurrency. I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you think about the whole Ye thing? Yeah, I just listened to Mo Facts on uh, Adam Curry's podcast, the Adam Curry Mo Facts podcast, and Mo Facts brought up some some absolutely brilliant f- brilliant points. One of the, the, the one that I think is the central point of what Mofax was trying to say was that he did this on purpose. And that reflects my belief. Even before I heard this, this episode, the minute that I heard that yay been doing this shit, he wore the white lives matter shirt. And I think it was the day after or the day after that, that he said he made the Jewish comments. And it was like the day after that, that he was 100% canceled from life. There is no way on God's green earth, that somebody like Ye, who built himself from basically nothing into what he was just a few days ago, is that dumb. He's not dumb. I'm not going to say he's brilliant, but I know he's not stupid. And there's a, there's, there's a very wide gap between not being stupid and being brilliant. Some of you may disagree. Some somebody may say, no, there's a very fine line between being not stupid and being brilliant. I'm going the other direction. He doesn't have to be brilliant. He just has to be not stupid. And he's not. He knew exactly what was going to happen. So, but Mofax took it one step further and he said he wanted to get all of his contracts canceled because they were bad contracts. He signed bad contracts. So in that case, he was actually kind of dumb from a business standpoint, right? That's why I'm saying he's he's not brilliant, but he's not stupid insofar that he was able to build brands. He was able to build, you know, get, uh, he was able to build brands by being relatively uh, talented and understanding how the street works and how to get people interested in you. So he built brands doing that, but then he started signing contracts. And one of the contracts that he signed, the one with Adidas, they own all of his designs when it comes to what he was doing with Adidas. He did not retain intellectual property over the design features that was owned by Adidas. That is the signature of a very terrible contract. But now he doesn't have that contract What will be interesting in Ye's case is two things. Will he bounce back and sign, you know, new contracts with completely different companies that do not reflect bad contractual obligations, right? And what was the other thing I was thinking of? I was thinking of something else and I can't remember what the hell it was. Doesn't really matter because I think Ye is going to come back. I think he did this all on purpose. Oh, oh, that was the other thing. Will he sue any of these people for breach of contract? Because I guarantee you, at least in half of the cases where contracts were dropped, unless there is a clause in that contract that says, hey, you do anything to embarrass, if, if somehow or another you do anything to embarrass us as a brand, then we can drop you and you have no, have no cause for, for, uh, you know, course of action to sue us. Okay. I could see that as a possibility, but I, I, I don't see that in all possibilities. So here's my prediction. Yay comes back with new contracts that are better negotiated and he doesn't sue a single one of these people because he just wants out. He just wanted out. I don't know what you think about him. I'm not particularly fond of the fact that he was, you know, said what he said about Jews, but honestly, I don't think that that's really the point at this point. I think 
we should be looking at the fact that he knew. You know he knew this would happen. In, in this environment, to think anything but a complete and total cancellation was going to occur is stupid. Of course he was going to get canceled. Even if he didn't say anything about the Jews, he would have probably just been canceled over the White Lives Matter shirts. And that would have been it. But no, he took that extra step, didn't he? He put that last hammer blow on that last nail in the coffin that was Kanye West. Let me know what you think in the boostograms. Oh shit, boostograms. I have boostograms. And here they are. Fatoshi, 50,000 Satoshi says, here's to information. Letter 6173 says, Twitter is nothing more than a government-controlled honeypot under new management. Well, that's probably not incorrect. C.A. Danner says, does anyone know that with the Oshi app, you can get sats back from your beef initiative slash KNC cattle meat order they ship to uh, they ship to me on the East Coast and there's nothing like Texas beef. No, I didn't know that. And thank God for 6,000 Satoshis that was given to me. It came along with some high quality information. Uh, Oshi app, go look at it. O-S-H-I. If you're wondering why it's called Oshi app, it's Satoshi. Get it? Okay. Porter with 5,000 Satoshi says, I would like to disagree with you more often. But when you're right, you're right. <laughs> Pitar, I've missed you, Pitar. For uh, 2,500 sats, Hot Potato Head says, keep up the good fight. Shark the Lion with a row of sticks. That's 1,111 Satoshis. I've been permanently banned from Twitter and I have no idea why. I hope that weird alien guy who bought it let me buy it back on. I hope you get your account reinstated as well. Yeah, I want my BENND77 account back, motherfucker. I had 60, it's like 68. I was just shy of 7,000 followers on that account. And that, and it's been a year, and I am now just shy of 2,000 followers with Ghost of Nunya account on Twitter. And it's honestly, it's just, it's so fucking stupid. I was just saying mass formation hypnosis over and over and over again on New Year's Eve. Anyway, I think that's pretty much what, what got me banned on that one. Uh, Jim Leahy for 300 sats says, the Bukele news is not good. No shit, dude. I'm still kind of, you know, we, we'll have to wait and see. We always have to wait and see, but we're going to have to wait and see on this one. But right now, it shit don't look good. Row of sticks, short row of sticks, 111 sats. Bit happens, 1331 says, Halfway through this clip, it's hard to see, but Miles is clearly working the Skynet chipset during the daylight at his beachfront property. The same home place that Sarah comes to later in the evening. Hard to catch, but it's not there. But or sorry, but it's there and be certain they saw it coming. Not my clip, but here's one. And he gives me a YouTube clip and I have not actually looked at that yet. But those are the boostergrams for today. I thank every, each and every one of you. Um... You know, it's okay to disagree with me. Like, for instance, this yay thing. There is no, like, again, my wife completely hates this motherfucker now. Because she's buying into the, into, the, into the mainstream media narrative. And she's not, but she also doesn't have time to, and it, okay, there's two things about that. If you don't have time and you don't care enough about it, you're not going to look further into the story. But Ye has an interesting story here. And the thing that triggered me to get to, not to the bottom of it, but to at least examine it, is just that question in my head. And that question was, didn't he know this was going to happen? And the answer is yes. And that was intriguing. He knew it was going to happen. So if you disagree with me about Ye, boostagram me, let me know about your disagreement. And hell, man, I mean, use all the, the characters to, to outline your argument I'll read it on air. You know, I, 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 that whole thing with Fatoshi was a lot of fun. It really set up the show yesterday in a very good way. I enjoyed doing that. I want more of it. Union Bank and the Philippines launched Bitcoin and shitcoin one trading. Helen Parts Coin Telegraph. 
The Union Bank of the Philippines, or simply Union Bank, has launched a pilot program for Bitcoin and Shitcoin One custody and trading services for select retail customers, the firm said in a joint announcement today, and that is November the 2nd. The new investment and trading feature launched in collaboration with Swiss crypto technology firm Medico, with Union Bank going live on Medico's digital asset platform, Harmonize. Union Bank initially partnered with Metaco for the development of crypto trading services back in January of this year. Licensed and supervised by the Philippine Central Bank, Banco Central NG Filipinas, Union Bank has been actively exploring the crypto industry in recent years. In night. No, sorry, in 2019, Union Bank launched a payments-focused stablecoin pegged to the Philippine peso. Henry Aguda, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Transformation Officer at Union Bank, said that Metaco had been critical in the bank's goal or has been critical in the bank's goal to provide customer-centric services in the Philippines. He also noted that Union Bank is among the early regulated adopters of crypto in the country, stating, quote, we are proud to continue Union Bank's series of industry first, this time being the first regulated bank in the country, allowing digital currencies to exchange, uh, ex- allowing digital currency exchange features for clients, end quote. The news comes shortly after Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos highlighted the importance of adopting blockchain technology to master digital banking and digital transactions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Philippines, you know, Union Bank's a big bank over there. And they're launching Bitcoin trading. Yeah, I know, and shitcoin one, but it is it is what it is. Uh, record hash rates may see big oil become a major BTC mining player. Coin Telegraph, Martin Young. Surging Bitcoin network hash rates are causing problems for mining companies, but might be rolling out the red carpet for energy giants. The Bitcoin hash rate, the amount of computing power given to the blockchain to secure it, is reached another record peak. Another all-time high, ladies and gentlemen. According to blockchain.com, the metric hit an all-time high of 267 exahashes per second on November the 1st after increasing almost 60% since the beginning of the year. Commenting on the new peak, Capriol Fund founder Charles Edwards speculated that highly efficient government and oil company enterprises we're entering the mar- the mining game at scale. Quote, new Bitcoin hash rate world record, 9% higher than the previous all-time high just set a few days ago. I have no doubt that we have serious, highly efficient government and oil enterprises entering the mining game at scale as we speak. That's the tweet. He added that this was bullish and not a sign of minor capitulation. However, in the short term, it could be considered bearish as miners sell coins to cover their expenses and remain in business. This scenario would result in a stagnation or fall in hash rate, which hasn't been seen yet, adding more weight to the premise that rigs are being deployed by other entities. Quote, big oil will undoubtedly become major players, said Edwards. It appears that the big oil influence is already happening. Earlier this year, it was reported that ExxonMobil has been working with Denver-based Crusoe Energy Systems to mine Bitcoin in North Dakota. In June, reports that the oil subsidiary of Russian natural, natural gas giant Gazprom will provide energy to mining firm BitRiver. There has been an increased usage of gas flare energy, a byproduct from the oil industry that is otherwise wasted to power Bitcoin mining. Earlier this month, Argentina's state-owned energy company, YPF, stated that it would be converting residual gas flare energy into power for crypto mining. These are just a few examples of the influence that big oil is having over Bitcoin mining, and they are likely to increase going forward. Back in 2020, Cointelegraph reported that oil companies could dominate BTC mining by as early as 2025. Firms that rely on Bitcoin mining as their sole business and revenue source are struggling at the moment as each block becomes more competitive, energy prices skyrocket, and hash price or profitability slumps. Just this week, Argo Blockchain announced a restructuring of its business strategy and details of its mining hardware sell-off. Last week, Bitcoin miner Core Scientific filed forms suggesting bankruptcy was imminent. 
The depressed price of Bitcoin, which is down 70% from its all-time high, is certainly not making things easier for Bitcoin miners. Okay, so there you go. Um, my take on this is that if, if oil companies and en energy produ production companies, which generally speaking is oil and gas companies, um, if they are at this point and have been up until this point buying facilities, buying miners, and, and, and setting up the infrastructure to use their oil wells to provide natural gas to do Bitcoin mining, then you got in too early. Yes, indeedy, you got in too early, motherfuckers. And I'm not talking about Crusoe Energy. We're talking about the big majors like Exxon at scale. That's when they said at scale, that's what I think they're talking about. Texaco, Exxon, Mobile. Well, I guess it's now Texacon or Texamobile, Mobile Texaco, whatever. Well, I don't know. Uh, who knows? All these people have been consolidating themselves over the years. But Chevron, shit like that, Sinclair, I'm talking like major, major, major oil and gas developers. If they are the ones that are contributing to the hash rate rise right now, they're getting in too early. It is, it would behoove them to wait so that they can buy mining operations that are already set up, already screwed and staffed, already with contracts for energy and buy them motherfuckers for pennies on the dollar. Not that I, it's not that I like don't like BitRiver. That's not the point. The point is, is that a lot of people got themselves in a lot of trouble with leverage and loans and VC shit and being stupid by dragging the financial legacy system into the future. We should have let it die back there in the past, but we didn't. And you're getting, you're getting fucked for it. And those that get fucked basically get paid at one point or another for the prostitutes that they ended up being. And they're going to get paid by Exxon because Exxon's going to give money to get themselves out of the hole. And Exxon's going to end up with a whole shitload of miners that if they so choose, they can redeploy to all their gas well pads or they can redeploy it all the way to a natural gas line. Yeah, that could happen. Or they could build uh, an extension of a natural gas pipeline that they own by the right of way and then pipe natural gas directly to an already existing miner without having to move a thing. Depends on what's cheaper, right? I think that that's what's going on. I think there are major players that are coming in and they're racking up a whole bunch of hash and that is causing major problems right now. And a whole bunch of miners are going to go bankrupt and they're going to have a shit ton of miners. And Exxon and Mobil and Chevron and all these people are real. That's when they're going to start jumping into the game. And when they jump in, look for 380 exahashes per second. Look for 480 exahashes per second. In 2025? No. Before 2024. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Let's have a joke. I was trying to figure out why the ball kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it hit me. That joke ties in perfectly with what we were just talking about with mining. <coughs> Major energy players are going to jump into this in a way that if you're, if you were like swimming in a public pool and you had like, you know, I was like 15, 20 people, you know, in that pool and everything's kosher and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is when the school buses park in the parking lot. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but 20 fully packed school buses unload into that public pool. Yeah, you're not going to want to be swimming in that son of a bitch for very much longer. That's not me saying get out as a miner. See, this is what I love about mining. I could just go get a miner. And I can be profitable at some, you know, however, if I pay less than, I don't know, I think what it is, is like if with an S19, 
if I'm paying less than six pennies per kilowatt hour, then I'm in profit. And I, even if I just have one miner, I'm still making more money per kilowatt hour than I'm paying for it. And if I'm like, you know, like it snowed last night up here in Eastern Washington, it's cold as shit today. It's not like, you know, you know, it ain't like teeth chattering or anything like that, but it would be kind of cool to have a nice black box, you know, something that's silent that vents the heat out into the room. Cause I'm in a back room with, you know, not a whole lot of heat registers. It would be nice. That way I could be warm and toasty in here and I'd actually be making money for the heat. Not a whole lot, but they'd be KYC Satoshis. So I'm not saying that you should get out as a miner, but I am saying that the buses are pulling up to the pool. Exxon is going to unload its students in a way, and they're all, they're all gonna jump in at once and they're all gonna do cannonballs and they're gonna probably wash out half the water onto the sidewalk. You know, they're all stupid kids. And yes, there's gonna be problems because of it, but it's going to happen. And it's going to happen sooner than later. And one of the catalysts is the fact that all the miners that drag that stupid financial, legacy financial thinking into the future are gonna get paid for it. They're gonna get paid for it. Or rather, they're gonna pay for it they're going to have to give over all their shit all the time that they that they were building all these different mining companies they're going to give that away to get out of bankruptcy and exxon's going to be there to foot the bill and they're going to take over their shit and it's going to be a completely different game i don't know what the game looks like but it's going to be different ladies and gentlemen now again If you want to hear me pontificate on this and more, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. And you can use Fountain App. I like it because it's stable now. It doesn't heat up my phone and it has everything that I need a podcast app to do. Do I wish it had more? Yes, I do. I don't care that it does it right now. Why? Because I can stream my favorite podcasters, Satoshis, while they stream me their dulcet tones and I can do the same for you. And I'll do that on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.